Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Jonathan All. April is National Donate Life Month. It's a great time to discuss the importance of registering as organ, eye, and tissue donors and to celebrate saved lives and also learn about some of the latest advancements in the organ transplant field. Joining me in the studio today are Diane Brockmeyer, President and CEO of Mid-America Transplant. Diane, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. And Dr. Will Chapman, Chief of Transplant Surgery at Washington University and Barnes Jewish Hospital. Will, thanks for being here as well. Thank you, Jonathan. So, Dr. Chapman, uh, thinking about uh, organ donation and how quickly it changes and, and how, mu- how far it's come over the life that we've been able to do that, where do things stand right now? Where are we in the, the history of, of organ transplant, uh, and, and where does it stand? Well, you know, Jonathan, we've had great progress in the field of abdominal transplantation. I mean, it's interesting to me that in my lifetime, I remember as a kid when transplantation was thought to be experimental or didn't exist at all. Um, And we've progressed to the stage where organ transplantation is now standard therapy. We are able to help uh, uh, thousands of people a year um, with organ transplantation, um, the majority of whom would not survive. So this is life-saving therapy. uh, And um, the number of patients, the people we can help, has really um, uh, increased dramatically. But with the advance, we've um, encountered uh, other issues and other problems. And a big one is we don't have enough organs to help all the people on our transplant waiting lists. And so uh, what this means is that we have people every year who die uh, who could be saved with um, organ, uh, suitable organ donation. And, um, you know, we've made great progress, great strides. We have more and more people who agree to be donors in Missouri. It's incredible the um, outpouring of support that we have uh, from uh, everyone. But uh, there, we can do more. There are still more people who could become, uh, agree to be donors and, and that's really what we want to highlight. That's really what we want to be sure everyone is thinking about this and, 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 and making that uh, choice known. Now, I, I read that uh, in 2018, there were more than 36,000 organ transplants in the United States, which was the sixth consecutive year of an all-time high. <laughs> so it, it seems like that the, the, the every year, more and more people benefit from this. Yeah, I think that is um, uh, definitely true. We have had um, increases in organ donation, I think, um, for a couple of reasons. One, the uh, everyone is considering this, signing up for donor registries. Um, families are realizing the great benefit. Um, the other piece is we are working and learning ways to use organs that in the past maybe we wouldn't or we would be concerned about uh, how well they would function. So, um, you know, we call that marginal donor organs, or they're they're less than perfect. Uh, but we've, we're figuring out ways to use those organs so we're able to help more and more people. Diane, your organization's website says that uh, one organ, eye, and tissue donor can save and heal more than 75 lives. That's a lot. <laughs> it is a so, lot. So can you maybe explain how is that possible for one donor to have that much effect? 
I think the the power in one donor and the recognition that it takes less than two minutes to sign up on the registry to save and enhance 75 lives is pretty remarkable. So there are eight solid organs that can be transplanted, uh, the heart, lungs, pancreas, liver, kidneys, and intestine. And then tissue, skin, eye, and, and uh, cartilage donation can benefit far more than 50 to 60 people. So of, of, uh, of a donation, how many uh, how many do we, are, are quality of life and how many are life-saving? Well, the eight would be life-saving. Mm-hmm. Um, on the tissue side, I think that's probably a matter of perspective, Jonathan. A lot of the skin that we recover at MidAmerica goes for burn victims. So while that is um, used as a temporary dressing for burn patients, nonetheless, it's part of their journey in their life being saved as well. So many of the tissues that are donated, certainly not having vision and then being able to see after a cornea transplant, Plant makes a tremendous difference. And we have folks come back that have never seen their children clearly, uh, and to be able to see their faces very clearly is a pretty remarkable accomplishment. Now, there's an issue with organ donation that I, I wrestled whether to bring it up or not, but it came up with a conversation that I had with a friend last night who said, oh, I don't want to sign up for that because you don't know whether they're really going to take care of you at the end of your life if they know that you're an organ donor. And I, I tried to tell my friend it doesn't happen like that. That is just it is. But but uh, apparently this is still a perception that some people have. So what what communication do we, can we give people to alleviate that fear? I think you're right. That's still one of the common myths that we try to deal with on yeah. a regular basis. But please, we want folks to rest assured that everything possible is done to save their life before the issue of organ or tissue donation is ever brought up. Only when they recognize that that all those attempts have been futile and their opportunity to live is lost would the subject of organ and tissue donation be raised by their health care team. Dr. Chapman, now I understand Washington University is part of a clinical trial aimed at making organ donation possible for people who are HIV positive. Uh, What does that project involve? And and how much of it is happening right here in St. Louis? Well, we are uh, part of a multi-center trial um, that... Um, we've just um, activated where, um, so so, you know, uh, 20 years ago we weren't sure, uh, or maybe 25 years ago there was discussion about whether transplantation was um, even safe in patients with HIV. And the concern was um, when uh, everyone who has uh, uh, an organ transplant goes on immunosuppression. And so the concern was that immunosuppression is going to set the HIV patient up for uh, unusual and uh, overwhelming complications. We can't, we d- didn't want to over-immunosuppress those patients. And what we've learned since then is uh, those with organ failure and HIV can uh, undergo transplantation safely. We have to modify the way the immunosuppression is used. There are some drug drug interactions that um, uh, have to be accounted for. But the transplant part can be done safely, and we have been doing them at um, Barnes-Jewish Hospital and as, as part of the WashU team. Um, what this has changed and what our new trial is focused on is uh, up until now, it has not been allowable and it has not been possible to use organs from HIV-positive donors uh, at all. So those donors would be um, uh, would not be considered. 
And what this trial uh, allows for is use of HIV-positive donors in HIV-positive recipients when certain criteria uh, are met. I mean, basically, the um, uh, the donor, the recipient has to already be listed, an HIV-positive recipient, uh, and the donor is um, carefully screened, and when uh, this is a matter of, um, uh, you know, we expect the HIV will continue, be under control as it is uh, already in the recipient today, this allows for um, donation. And this is, let me point out, includes live donation and deceased donation. Mm -hmm. So like for kidney transplant living donor. And this is going to, has already opened up possibilities for additional transplants that wouldn't have, uh, hasn't been able to occur otherwise in the past. So medicine continues to try to break down those barriers to make sure that anybody who wants to donate can and anybody who needs to receive can. I I know there's been similar things on people with hepatitis that can still Mm -hmm. donate organs. So that's another big area. Yeah. We have been using uh, donors with hepatitis C and some components of hepatitis B in, um, uh, as a regular part of transplantation, uh, and we've been doing that for uh, a number of years. Um, but we're even expanding that use. So now we even consider hepatitis C positive donors for patients who may not have hepatitis C, but we can treat and, and, and cure that hepatitis C in the recipient. So yes, these are all strategies to increase uh, donor availability, especially for those who need it. Let's take a call. Bobby in Brentwood is on the line and has uh, something to say about this. Bobby, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Thank you. Um, I'm an organ donor, but I noticed that um, your speaker is discussing tissue and eye donation, and there is no place on the driver's license to indicate that. So how do I donate those things or let anyone know that I want to? Diane, can you feel that? Yes. Uh, I think Bobby, thanks for your call. I think the biggest thing you can do is, one, ensure that your family knows what your wishes are. That's always still an important conversation to have. And secondarily, on the back of your driver's license, you could just make a note that says all organs and tissues. Uh, the assumption that we make when we talk to families about their loved ones that have signed up on the registry is the consent is for everything that can be used for transplant. So we treat it as a global consent, even though the license doesn't specifically break out organs versus corneas versus tissue. Bobby, thanks for your call. Um, uh, another uh, similar one, uh, Diane, maybe you can feel this. Madonna, one of our listeners in Crestwood, uh, sent us an email that says, every holiday, Father's Day, Mother's Day, Christmas, etc., we all get out our driver's licenses and pass them around to sign witness to each other's organ transplant designation. Madonna has a question. How legal and or effective is that designation on the back of your driver's license? In the state of Missouri, Illinois, and Arkansas, the areas that we work in, that license is considered a legally binding document. So we could pursue donation. And what we would say to your family, Madonna, is that Madonna's made her wishes known. We are here to help you facilitate that process and make sure that the gifts she wanted to give to save lives, that that comes forward for her in the next few hours. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment to continue our discussion uh, in light of National Donate Life Month. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. 
Now back to our discussion with Dr. Will Chapman of Washington University and Barnes Jewish Hospital and Diane Brockmeyer of Mid-America Transplant. I'd like to talk about, uh, because you've mentioned it briefly in passing, there's two ways to donate organs and tissues. Living, where someone can give something and still maintain a completely active and normal life, and then maybe the more unfortunate one when you've passed away. So what are the differences between those two and and, and, uh, maybe help people understand which organs and tissues we're talking about in both those cases. Sure, Jonathan. The, the, um, this has um, been done, meaning a living person to another uh, individual for a number of organs, but some in just a very limited way. But, the, but the, let, let's take the major involvement. Today, uh, kidney donation uh, is very commonly done as with live donors. So uh, living donors now in some programs uh, may make up to 40% or even as high as 50% of the number of transplants that occur at a center. So, you know, at Washington University, we'll have in the, in the ra- range of uh, 75 or 80 living donors a year. The total uh, number of people transplanted for kidney is about 250. So that gives you a little bit of the perspective. Now, mm-hmm. that it, uh, just a, a few basic components. Uh, this is a very safe process. Uh, we don't consider this if there's any jeopardy to the donor. So the donor's got to have very good health. Um, and careful screening is performed. But when that's done, the, um, the donors have normal lifespan. They really take very little risk. But they do go through an operation. This is a major undertaking, and so we um, it has to be carefully thought about. Now, so the, the Hippocratic oath still exists here: first, do no harm. Absolutely, even in, the, in these cases, and and we're really stringent about who we consider uh, for donors. Mm-hmm. But you know, we have people today who um, know they are in good health and want to be want to help someone else, and actually, we have donors that. Um, make that altruistic gift without even a person in mind who will give a kidney uh, to somebody on our transplant list who otherwise would wait maybe years to have a transplant. So kidney, that's the biggest area. We do consider this, this is considered for liver, but to a um, much smaller percentage. Mm -hmm. And those are really the only two areas currently thought about today for living donation. The remainder are from deceased donors. uh, And this is the importance of letting your family know, signing up on the registry, signing your driver's license. Diane, what what percentage of people would need to be uh, registered as an organ donor and be willing to do it for us to be able to meet the need? I'm not sure we could ever accomplish that. Okay. I think as the list for transplant continues to grow with the innovation in medicine, um, despite great efforts to get more and more people to sign up, despite great efforts to get more and more people to authorize donation if they're not on the registry, it feels like many cases, Jonathan, we're kind of chasing that number. I think the goal is every family that tells us when they come back, they're such so thankful to be a part of leaving a legacy and making a difference to the loved ones uh, that they're benefiting on behalf, perhaps for other families. But I think the biggest piece is uh, we continue to drive that number and push that number, uh, but recognize that with 1,200 folks waiting here in St. Louis for a transplant, 
it, it will be a challenge for us to continue to get more and more people uh, all of them transplanted. When you say 1,200 people, um, is that St. Louis area? Like a, like it's the St. Louis Transplant Metro Center. Pal- yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. And now, it, I, I, my understanding that the nationwide, 22 people die every day who are just waiting for some kind of transplant. Um, and and what, where are we? I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about a misconception with donations. What are the other barriers that we... Because it just sounds like that many people die every day, and a lot of their organs could be used. What are the barriers really to keeping people from from signing up? Well, I think there's sometimes the general fear that you mentioned, mm-hmm. has everything been done to keep my loved one alive? Uh, does my religion support it? And the answer is yes. All major religions support uh, organ and tissue donation. Can I still have an open casket funeral is a question a lot of really? families raise, right? Okay. Uh, and so your funeral arrangements can continue as they should be, as you want them to be. Uh, so a lot of those misconceptions, the basic kind of mistrust issues about, you know, the care that they receive, we continue to try to educate and inform and work with families, both as they're making the decision to sign up, that they feel comfortable with that, but also when they're in the hospital scenario. I'd, I'd just like to throw in uh, as a point of personal privilege, I'm signed up and I told my, my wife knows and my parents know and anyone who would ever be in a position to get that phone call that nobody wants to get or get that visit from a doctor that nobody wants to get, they know, take it all. <laughs> I mean, Woody Allen said, I, wanted, I don't want to reach immortality through my work. I want to reach immortality through not dying. But the second best thing might be to have to, to help other people live right. on. to save the life of another. What a remarkable legacy. Well, we talk a lot about, we hear a lot about uh, organ rejection. Uh, how is that? How, how are the advancements coming on that? Is that something where where it's it's much less of an issue than it was in the past? Well, we've made great progress in um, making long term success of transplantation uh, a reality, and so um, the immunosuppression strategies are very effective. There is some variability on the risk of rejection. So, for example, uh, in liver transplantation, rejection is rarely a problem that we can't control easily. It's a little more of a problem um, in the other organs, kidney, liver, I'm sorry, kidney, lung, and heart. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's able to be managed. And, and you know, the other thing is the side effects of our current immunosuppression are pretty limited. So we expect... Uh, by just a couple of months after a major transplant, the patients are back to full activities. We do not put restrictions on what patients do. Um, They are going to be committed to, at least the majority, to long-term immunosuppression. So you've got to take your medication. Uh, But for the most part, uh, rejection is not a major issue. And I would point out that one of the things that we're currently working on is the ability to get patients Um, in the future, not done today, but at some point potentially on either very low dose uh, or in some rare cases, no immunosuppression. So, you know, that's hopefully coming in the future. Throughout the course of your career, what's happening right now that if someone had told you it was was going to happen when you were early in your career, you just wouldn't have believed them in terms of organ donation and transplants? Yeah, I think, um, you know, like I said, when I was a kid, I remember 
distinctly. My father was a physician. He was an anesthesiologist. And the discussion of the day was liver transplantation is an impossibility. <laughs> this is pie in the sky. And let me tell you, in the, uh, this liver transplantation, after the first attempts in the late 60s, there was a moratorium on liver transplantation because it was thought to not be possible. Mm. So, you know, uh, for in my uh, uh, career as a surgeon, it's gone from a uh, I, I would say almost tour de force, very long, major operations, depleting the blood bank, um, to one that's very streamlined. Our patients stay in the hospital a week or less for the most part, wow. and some as early as three days. It's a really streamlined um, procedure, that, uh, and, and that's true for all solid organ transplant today. What, what do you think we're talking about right now that we say is impossible that 20 years from now when someone's listening to St. Louis on the Air and uh, listening to the program on organ donation 20 years from now, they'll say, could you believe that 20 years ago we said blank was impossible and now we're doing it? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, to tell you the truth, we're not going to have organ transplantation at some point in the future. We are not from one human to another. We are going to figure out a way to um, have alternative uh, organ system support. That's what this is, really. Artificial okay? growing Artificial one. growing, yeah. um, uh, y y you know, to be able to satisfy the needs we have and not have to do this process. But that's a long ways off. Well, I mean, like a 3D printer for organs? Is 3D that 3D printer where you populate the scaffolding. You make a scaffolding. You populate it with a, um, a cell matrix that performs the functions of the liver, for example. Uh, there's work being done in this in kidney. We have mechanical support devices that are improving every year for heart function. Um, and so these, uh, these technologies one day we'll be able to meet the needs. We're not going to have 20% of our patients dying on a waiting list. We're going to be able to do something for everyone. But until we, but, get, until we yes. get to Jetson's flying cars future, <laughs> yes. um, Diane, people need to do something now. And we have an email from Adam. He writes, I am signed up for both organ donation and whole body donation. I was told that if you choose whole body donation, that organs are not used for transplants. Is that accurate? That's accurate. Okay. So if you make a whole body donation to one of the medical schools, for example, uh, they really want to have the whole body for the purpose of science and sure. study. So um, we can't do organ donation. So we would say to Adam, be an organ donor, leave the legacy for the folks that can benefit from your, and save the lives of those that can benefit from the organs that are suitable for transplant. Diane, let's say that someone is inspired today. They've heard our conversation and they, they, they are convinced that now is the time to sign up. Exactly what do they do and what do they need to do uh, to, to, to become a possible organ donor in the future? It takes less than two minutes, Jonathan. Uh, the national website is registerme.org. You can go on, you can enter your information, and in less than two minutes, your information is available to any organ procurement organization across the nation. You can also make that decision the next time you go in the license office, or you can go on to the Missouri DMV site and indicate that to be on the Missouri registry. And talk to your family. And talk to your family. Because if you sign up, but your family it says, says no, no, it we don't proceed. Um, I just I want to point out how good our talk show team is. For the record, the Jetsons place takes place 
in 2062. So actually that timeline <laughs> might work well that we have that. Uh, thank you so much, Diane Brackmeyer with Mid-America Transplant and Dr. Will Chapman of Washington University at Bar- and Barnes Jewish Hospital for being with us today. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate your time this afternoon. This is St. Louis on the Air, St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.